The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Kent. All right. It's a familiar story. It's one we've rehearsed a lot of times. It's worth rehearsing familiar stories, especially around these, these key moments in the formation of this faith uh, that Christians embrace. <clears throat> so I'm going to take you back in time a little bit. It's Christmas 1981. Were any of you alive for Christmas 1981? A few of you. (laughs) I'm eight years old. 1981 was a great year to be eight years old because within about a year of one another, the Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in theaters and I saw them both and it shaped my world. That Christmas, Christmas of 1981, my parents in what was just a brilliant move, gave to me for Christmas two near-complete sets of trading cards, one for each movie. I have a slide here. Okay. So I had a complete set of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie photo cards with bubblegum, and I had an almost complete set of the Empire Strikes Back movie cards as well. Right? That's awesome. That's an awesome gift. And I had these things, I I just, I I fell into this just kind of, this, just this hole of of wonder and fascination and joy, just studying these, reading what was written on the back and studying the pictures on the front. It was amazing. My grandparents on my mother's side uh, lived in Pennsylvania, a little town called Milford, Pennsylvania, 
And they would come to visit us uh, for Christmas, and they came that year from Pennsylvania, and they brought me two gifts as well. Uh, And they were the kind who would give you family heirlooms, right? They were the kind who would give me a dresser that had been in the family for (laughs) 75 years, you know, or things like this, which was great. What they gave me was they gave me two photo albums of old black and white photos, the kind that have like that fancy die-cut edge that you see on old pictures. Um, and it was of relatives, we have another picture here that's coming up. This, photos like this. So that is my nana. That's, that's Norma Aspinwall uh, right there when she was a young woman. And they gave me these two photo albums of photos like this, relatives from 100 years back, from the advent of the camera right? And there were little handwritten notes underneath each photo of approximated dates and the names of who these people are in these pictures. And the photos were were amazing. You could see clothing. You could see the kind of cars that were in the backgrounds, the houses, um, all these things. It was like, it was just, it was like history. You know, I'm holding an artifact in my hand from, 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 history, dating back a hundred years. Now, some gifts that we give to each other are gifts that we just purchase in haste because I need to give somebody something, I'm going to get them a candle, right? And, and we don't really think about it, it's just, and we don't really think about the recipient and, and how they relate to us, it's just, it's, it's appropriate to bring a gift. But what my grandparents had given me was something that was precious. It was a treasure really. And I was eight, and I had no clue the significance of what they had given me. It just did not register with me at all. What I had was I had this collection of black and white photos that I had no connection to, that I couldn't, I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know who these, it might have been the most priceless gift that I had ever been given but man, Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, those trading cards, now that was something I connected to. I'm about to make y'all mad at me. I looked at my trading cards, I looked at the photo albums, and I thought, you know, these have a better use for these photo books. <laughs> and I took every picture every little slip of paper identifying each photo and put them indiscriminately in a shoebox. And then I proceeded to fill those albums with my trading cards in order, leaving little blank spaces for the cards that I had not yet collected. And didn't tell anybody that I did this because I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And that's what I did. And I put that shoebox full of old photos and all those little slips of paper written in my grandmother's hand in a shoebox on the floor of my closet, and later that spring our house flooded and they were all destroyed. You mad at me? (laughs) To me, the gift was incomprehensible. It was this collection of strange faces and unfamiliar places, and what I failed to get was what they were trying to do, was they were trying to tell me my story They were trying to tell me who I was and where I was from. 
And I just didn't get how extraordinary it was. I didn't understand how much of my story was contained in those pages. I'd give anything to have those photo albums back. And they are just gone. How we respond to a gift reveals something. And what it reveals is it reveals who we think we are in relationship to it. During Christmas, we celebrate the greatest gift ever given. The most magnificent, glorious, greatest gift ever given. The Son of God, given by God the Father for the atonement of our sin and the reconciliation of us to our Maker. That's what we've been given. Question, do you feel that way about the birth of Christ? The truth is, there's just a lot we don't get about the glory of this gift. And this passage that we just read illustrates that for us beautifully. It's not that we despise the gift. I didn't take apart the photo albums because I hated them. I just didn't know what I had. I didn't know what I had. And it helps us to return to familiar stories so that we might deepen our understanding of what we've been given. So come with me into this one if you're not still mad at me. And let's look at two responses that you see in this passage with the angels visiting the shepherds to this very familiar part of the Christmas story. The first response is how the shepherds respond, and the second one we'll look at is how the angels respond. Why do you think the Christmas story involves shepherds, of all people? Why shepherds? Every nativity scene has them, right? Holding their little crooks and the little sheep, and Mary and Joseph are there, and the shepherds are there at their side, looking with wonder at the baby Jesus. Let me tell you why shepherds are in the story. The shepherds are there because they're us. The shepherds are us. In what way? Well, a shepherd's life was rich in irony. They kind of had this ironic role that they played in community. The shepherd's job was to tend to animals that would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people, and yet because of what their work required, which was a lot of gross stuff, they would become ceremonially unclean in the process, which, made, which prevented them from participating in the ceremonial law themselves. And so they're tending to these animals that are being used in the ceremony to, to atone for the sins of the people, but because they're tending to them, they're becoming defiled and unclean, and they can't participate in the ceremony that they're keeping the lambs for. And so because they're unclean, they're, they kind of live on the fringe. They're not insiders, they're outsiders. And how do people regard outsiders? People regard outsiders with suspicion. We regard them as untrustworthy, irreligious. And this was the price that shepherds paid for their work. They were seen as untrustworthy outsiders. But it goes even deeper than that because a good shepherd, as Jesus said, is somebody who would lay down his life for his sheep. He'd risk his own safety for helpless creatures. He cared that much for the lambs. These lambs that would die on the altar for the sins of the people who saw the shepherd himself as unclean. And what it does is it makes the shepherd's very life, in effect, a sacrifice. That they are among the least of these. And so we're talking about a world where there were 
the ceremonially, the ceremonial and the unclean. There were those inside the system and those outside the system. And the question is, do we still live in that kind of a world? And the answer is, of course we do. We're ceremonial people. We're a culture of insiders and outsiders. We're ceremonial in this way. We're ceremon- you, you, we all participated in ceremonies already this morning, and I don't mean what we've already done in the worship service. You participated in the ceremony of getting dressed, where you stand in front of your closet of clothes and you think, what will I wear today? And you make choices, and you make choices based on reasons, and those reasons are your own. We make ceremonial, we're ceremonial about the clothes that we buy, about the presents that we get for people, about the way we present ourselves, about the music that we listen to, about the words that we post on social media and the images, even the process of waking up in the morning and getting ready to step out into the world as ceremony. Why do we do all this? Well, we do it because, sorry guys, my nose is running. We do it because we want to fit in and not be cast out. The shepherds were decidedly outsiders. And so when the angel appeared outside Bethlehem to these shepherds, what did he say? He said, go and behold the end of your life as an outsider. And the moment, the beauty of this, the poetry of it, the artistry of it makes me love God. (laughs) Because what God does here is poetic and beautiful. Let's look at it. The angel says to them first, he says, Christ the Lord has been born. Christ the Lord has been born. The divine deliverer who will atone for the people's sins has been born. Does this world need saving? Does it need atone for? Do you? These are the questions that people have been asking for millennia. Are we asking these questions? Are we asking the significance of why did this happen? The angel goes on to use one more expression which would have brought unexpected clarity to the moment. He says, Christ the Lord, he says to the shepherds, Christ the Lord has been born unto you. The Savior had been born unto them, to the shepherds. They're not outsiders to this gift. In fact, they're the recipients of it. These disregarded people They receive the greatest proclamation ever delivered. Imagine it. And it doesn't just end there. God's an artist. And what does he do? The angel gives them a sign that says, you know how you'll know that unto this day a Savior has been born unto you? Go find him. You're going to find him where the lambs are kept. You're going to find him in your domain. He'll be the one not clothed in wool, but in a swaddling cloth. Think about that. The Savior has been born into the world of the lowest of the low, into their domain, not in a palace, not in a temple, but where the lambs who were sacrificed for the atonement of the people of God were kept. That's where he would be found. The Savior has been born into their unclean world in the same manner as a lamb. And it astonishes them. Why? Because though they're poor, both spiritually and culturally, the angel is saying, you're on the mind of God. You're on the mind of God. You're not forgotten. Jesus was born into their poverty. He was born into our spiritual 
poverty. <coughs> How do they respond? They go to investigate, right? And when they do, they find that what the angel had told them was true. To what extent do you think they understood the value of this gift? They understood it some, sure, right? But I'm sure it must have been for some, like looking at old photos, <coughs> like looking at this old, kind of familiar, but also a little unfamiliar story. And in this, we're like them. They're told what we're told. You're on the mind of God. You as you are right now, are not forgotten. And that alone should prompt us, like it did with the shepherds, to investigate further. And that's the challenge that I want to give, the application that I want to give, is are you investigating the claims of Christ, the need for Christ that you have? Will you investigate that? <coughs> Let me offer a place for further investigation as well, and that is by looking at the other party in this passage, the angels, and how did they respond? Because you should assume that the angels know the old photos. They know what's in the old story. How do they respond? These who know what's up. We may have a hard time grasping what the herald is saying, but the other angels got it. The text says one angel came to announce, just one, one came to announce Jesus' birth. <coughs> Guys, I'm sorry, I'm holding it together here. The text tells us one angel came to announce Jesus' birth, but then when he does, what do we learn? That there's like a million more, right, hanging out around a corner in heaven, and they burst onto the scene. They can't contain themselves. One says, unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and then they all come rushing in, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. These angels couldn't contain their praise at the news, and if we're wise, we will grant that the angel's response perfectly fits the news, that they get it. It perfectly fits, even if it doesn't move us in the same way. Because we're looking at the picture for the first time, or we're trying to understand the complexity of the story. They've been looking at it longer. They know what was happening. They felt the ache and the groaning of creation. They've been anticipating. What do the angels understand about this moment? They understand that they, in that moment, are having a front row seat to the redemption of humanity. Nothing less. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's what's happening in this moment. Jesus was born poor for our sake and he lived poor for our sake and he died poor for our sake. And the angels are watching the Son of God become poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. Rich in what sense? The angel's announcement gives the answer, that Jesus would bring us peace with God. Peace with those on whom God's favor rests. Peace with God is the reason he came. 
And so Jesus came to make peace by paying the wage for sin for you, reconciling you to your maker and me. From the manger to the cross, he never counted the comforts of this world to be more precious than you. He never did. And so not only is peace with God the best gift that Jesus could ever give, it's exceedingly, exceedingly more glorious than we would imagine it to be. Essentially what the angel is telling the shepherds is this whole world is the stable. We're all poor. And sometimes it's a poverty that looks like the life of an outsider. Other times it's the poverty of being a slave to ceremony so that we can be insiders. And we're unmoved by wonder because we're too busy managing the meticulous and fragile image of the life that we think is best. But to all of us, a child has been born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The incarnation of Jesus is a picture of humiliation, of God condescending to live among us, even sending an angel to some of the lowest ranking people on earth, shepherds, to say, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the gift of Jesus, the least among us are astonished. When we doubt the love of God, we see the extravagance of it in the gift that he has given us, his only son among us, for us. In the gift of Jesus, those closest to God are humbled by it. When we doubt the power of what God has done through Christ, we see the heavenly host of angels trembling and rejoicing at the birth of Jesus. We see heaven's reaction to the birth of Christ. The angels are undone. And if we're wise, we'll assume their reaction is appropriate. And so I pray that that image of the manger where the sacrificial lambs are kept would prompt us, investigate further, stay in the story. And may it serve as a reminder that Jesus has come into the world in the same way that he left it. Out among the poor and despised, but singularly driven by his purpose to ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And so rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. We confess that like an eight-year-old receiving grainy black and white photo albums dating back three and four generations, we we struggle to grasp the full significance of the gift we've been given, and yet, it didn't stop you from giving it. Thank you that a son has been born unto us, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Deepen our wonder and our gratitude and our relief at the gift that is given to us so freely in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this season. Thank you for ceremony, for times where we intentionally focus and rehearse familiar stories that they would become lodged in our hearts as a part of us. Thanks for this church and for the way you're working in our midst. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.